What's going on, guys? Your boy Elroy here, and welcome back to the Your Boy Elroy MMA Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Prepbegina, and I'm here with my good buddy, Andre Rodriguez. Andre? What's up, Prep? How are you today? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm great. It's Thanksgiving Eve. Oh, yeah. So, uh, just like you said prior to the podcast, uh, trying to eat light because tomorrow it's going down. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm actually spending Thanksgiving with you this year. Oh, yeah. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. it's. Uh, I don't think we're going to be talking much MMA, but I am looking forward to spending time as like friends and family. Oh, yeah. Let's get into the news. Um, very, besides fight announcements, like... This week into next week is extremely light, but uh, there are some things I am looking forward to talking about. So let's start with something that was that popped off kind of after we recorded last week, right before the Bellator London card. James Gallagher and Mike Kimball kind of get into a scuffle, and it led to like an interesting interview that got us like mega like views which i was extremely thankful for but if you are a new listener welcome if you came from this welcome (laughs) (laughs) what did you think about what james gallagher said about mike kimball you know he said that he's never gonna step foot in a cage with him because that's kind of like giving him what he wants like he you know disrespected him and obviously in search of a fight And now, like, for him to give him that fight, it's not really fair. What do you think? Yeah, I understand where he's coming from, mainly because of that point. But if Mike Kimball is as good as everyone says he is, and if he believes he's that good, the question is, will James Gallagher be able to deny him for long? Because eventually, they will have to cross paths. I mean, let's face it. Mike Kimball had a couple setbacks, but he's still a pretty decent fighter already coming into his young career. And James Gallagher is kind of coming into his own, even though he's not fighting anyone great. But he's showing promise, just like Mike Kimball. So I see a potential matchup down the line, but I think that's where Bellator has to kind of pick the right time. For example, Adesanya versus Costa. They kind of have to do that. If they are that good, you Mm -hmm. have to really wait for the right moment, and then promote it the right way. Because then we could be talking about a big, big fight that could, you know, make Bellator a lot more popular. Yeah, um, honestly, I don't know if they're ever going to make that fight. And if they do, I'm sorry, Mike Kimball. I think it'll be severely one-sided. Just from the level of, you know... um, just for the mere fact that he's been in the cage, you know, double the time that Mike Kimball has, I think that he can find a way to, like, kind of pick him apart, you know. He's not a veteran by any means. No, no. But he is far superior in martial arts. Yeah, and, and the main area that he's superior to Mike Kimball is definitely the grappling area. Um from my understanding, if I remember correctly, Kimball's loss or losses have come only by submission. And Gallagher, obviously, is not very striking heavy. He is more of a submission specialist, primarily a back taker, and he really likes to sink in those chokes. So Mike Kimball, I like, you know, like I would say, develop your game first before you start talking mess because. If you're going off the idea that Gallagher got knocked out by Bandejas, you can look at Ricky Bandejas's highlights, and he's knocked out a lot of people. High-level mixed yeah. martial artists. Like he's, and he's another one who's like, maybe James Gallagher shouldn't have fought him at that time. Yeah, and you know what? That it, it, It's a testament to show that Bellator does have excellent talent and excellent prospects, but... For some reason, it's like they fight these guys that might not be as good as them, and then they lose, and you're like, uh, what happened there? But Bandeas is not one of those cases because they were really banking on him. He went against, after knocking Gallagher out, he goes against Juan Archuleta. And look how far Archuleta went. Yeah. And they went 
the distance, and it was back and forth. So it goes to show you just how good he is. But, you know, I, I just like the talent there. Yeah, from po- from prospects to legends, let's talk about something that nobody expected to happen this week. Gina Carano had her first interview on an Ariel Hawani MMA podcast. You know, he's interviewed her in the past in scrums and stuff, but she's never shown up in the 11 years of the show on the show. So, you know, he kind of shot his shot, posted a whole Instagram video, like formally inviting her. It's perfect timing because her character is about to debut on The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, which is like... If anybody hears that, I think that's the washing machine. (laughs) But we'll just power through it. She's going to debut on the Disney Plus show, The Mandalorian, pretty soon. Apparently, she has a very significant role in that. So, like, it kind of worked out for both of them. Um, I love Gina Carano. I've loved her since, you know, back in the day. Just seeing her in commercials, seeing her, like, preview her fights, like, because it was on CBS. So it was, like, very easy. She was very accessible at the time. So to see her, it was, like, a big deal. And I always thought, like, she was, like, my first MMA crush. Yeah. Um, so hearing her talk about that, I was I was loving it. You know, all the stories she told about why the fight with Ronda Rousey never happened, why she never came back. I thought that she was very, um, you know, upfront about it. I thought she was very honest. Something that we always talk about that we love to hear from fighters, just the honesty, the honesty about, you know, having a fight, why you, you know, one way or another. What did you think of the interview? I think it's great. You know, um, I feel like a lot of people were left with questions after she retired. Um, A lot of people remember, most MMA fans remember, she lost to the best. And then that was it. She never fought again. But, Mm -hmm. you know, all those fantasy mashups, they were amazing because, you know, she was a real pioneer, not in the sense of MMA, because there were others that came before her, like Marlos Conan <laughs> and uh, Shayna Baszler, um, you know, a couple names that she put out there, but she was the first female's MMA superstar, and then came Cyborg. But you know, she's one of those. She's like a GSP. Like she doesn't have to fight as often, but if she came back, like people would watch, people would pay to see that. Yeah, you know, like I would pay to see that because she dominated. So I I like the idea that she went on, you know, his show, kind of cleared some things up. And, um, you know, I just wish her the best in in this new series that she's doing because I think it's great. And I love the fact that she found success outside of the cage because a lot lot of fighters can't, you know. Like you see some who find minor success like Keith Jardine, you know, he does small minor roles in movies. But she found a lot of success doing even her own movies. So that's that's excellent, you know? Yeah. Um, I look at her as a pioneer the way I look at Rich Franklin as a pioneer. So, yes, Cyborg was the best. But Rich Franklin, you know, he was the everyman. You know, he was a teacher, but he was so dominant. Yeah. And Gina Carano was like that first, you know, I don't want to sound like a misogynistic like dude but she was like that first like really attractive like yeah girl doing it yeah and you know even before because misha tate nobody looked at misha tate like that back then but yeah. she was still before that you know and then you look at like Shayna baszler no like yeah. you look at cyborg you're like hell no she yeah. looks like vanderlei in a dress yeah please understand that that's a reference to a dana white interview <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so I do agree with Ariel. I think she belongs in the Hall of Fame. Whether she fought in the UFC or not, I still think she is a pioneer of the game. And I was very, very happy to hear her interview. (laughs) Yeah, me too. And, you know, I hope this isn't the last we see of her. You know, I know that it's probably, there's really probably not much more to say about your MMA career. Yeah. But, like, she was, like, wasn't she, like, a Muay Thai champion? Like, there's a ton of stuff she could talk about. She talked about, like, how hard it was to go into gyms. Like, that, I found that so interesting. Yeah, not only that, like, there's a small documentary she did in, in her time in um, Thailand and, like, 
how she learned to, to Muay, how she learned to train in Muay Thai, and um, she had a very very old school but very prestigious like coach that taught everyone differently. And the way he taught her how to fight was, like, unique to her own style. Yeah. And the way she adapted that to MMA, like, it was hard to deal with her in the cage. But I liked how she had first brought that up, um, you know, like, in that documentary series. Because that's kind of what paved the way for her popularity. And um, I think that a lot of times, like, when fighters do that, that brings a lot of... Um, a lot of success for them because there are, there are not a lot of fighters that go in depth and you know how they train and this and that unless it's like UFC embedded but she was one of the first to do stuff like that yeah. before she became a star so i thought that was awesome very good i like i said i hope it's not the last we see of her yeah mandalorian on disney plus right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's get into some fight announcements this is probably the longest this list has been since we started this podcast. Oh, yeah. Very big week. You know, they're gearing up. Uh, you know, you figured probably next week we'll be covering, like, press conferences for next year yeah. because of U- the last UFC uh, pay-per-view of the year. Yeah. But uh, let's get into some of these fight announcements. Please, as always, stop me if it's something you think is worthy Right off the back, very worthy. Philly's own Paul Felder versus Dan Hooker. I already see the heat. They're talking crap to each other. Um, honestly, I didn't think this fight was going to happen, but I am so happy it is. Yeah, me too, man. Like, there, There's nothing better than a hometown kid getting a high-profile fight and getting a chance to like show what he's really made of. But I love it, man. Like, he posted something recently. The pimp hand. Strong enough for a man, but made for a hooker. <laughs> and then he put, you're digging a deep hole, my man. <laughs> and you know what? I love the trash talk. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what's said. You already know these two are going to bring it. It's going to be a war. And these guys are going to give it and leave it all out there. And whoever wins, wins. But you know what? This is one of those fights that I think could make for a fight of the year. Yeah. I Don't get me wrong. Now, I love Paul Felder, but I think this is a very dangerous fight. But he needs that. Yeah. He needs to get that dangerous fight because from here, all there is is dangerous fights. Yeah. So you're going to fight, you know, you're in the upper echelon. You're going to fight the Tonys, the Khabibs, you know. Whatever the Connors, you're gonna keep going, and then yeah. Justin Gaethje, like, there's a rough road ahead for you, buddy. And that's the thing, like, this is this is the moment where you have to decide why you're doing this, right? Because Dan Hooker, despite losing to Edson Barbosa, like you said, is still a very dangerous opponent for Paul because he's on the up and up. He's got nothing to lose in this case because his last loss was to Edson Barbosa. But after beating Ally Aquinta in in that incredible fashion, all he has against him is just himself. He has all the momentum to push him forward to get that spot that Paul Felder is in right now. But <clears throat> Paul Felder also has momentum. He beat somebody who he lost to before one. And who decisively destroyed Dan Hooker. But this is the case where Paul Felder has to say to himself, I have to go for broke. I can't think in there. I have to react. I have to push the pace. Dan is an excellent striker. But you have to push the pace on him because if he gets an opportunity to gain his rhythm and gain momentum during the fight, he's going to pick you apart. And we saw that against Ally Quinta. Paul can't fight that kind of fight. He has to take it to him, and it can't just be getting enough points on the scorecards. He has to try and finish Dan Hooker every single round. If not, it's not going to be an easy fight. And he's going to have to do that from here on out. Yep. I mean, listen, Paul Felder is great, but it was just like Eddie Alvarez. Like He fought the best, and he got it done. But when he won the title, everybody was like, damn. There's a lot of dudes in line waiting, you know. 
So either way, you just have to tell yourself, like, I'm here for a reason, and I'm at this level for a reason. So I'm super excited for this fight. Yeah, me too. Another fantastic fight. Somebody that you really put me on to, Josh Emmett versus a fantastic prospect in Arnold Allen. He destroyed Gilbert Melendez in his last fight. He trains at a TriStar gym, so you already know he's a beast. Andre, is this the right fight? Yeah, this is the this is the perfect fight. I mean, Josh Emmett's got that one punch knockout power. Arnold Allen has kind of like reinvented himself and has become an excellent striker, excellent at takedown defense, and just overall really well rounded. So this is kind of like that pick 'em fight at 145. So we'll see who wins, but it's a tough fight for both guys, you know. So you know who know who knows. I just like Josh Emmett, but I love Arnold Allen too. So either way, I don't care who wins. Whoever wins, though, is going to be pretty close to getting to the top five. So Yeah. So then we have Paige Van Zant. her last fight on her contract. She's taking on a beast in Amanda Rivas, who just, you know, systematically picked apart Mackenzie Dern in her last fight. So I don't know, Paige, what you were thinking. You don't want to get in with Macy Barber, but you want to get in with this beast, I'm sorry, your career might be over pretty soon. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's going to be a very tough fight for her. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Amanda Hribas just continuing to dominate. after Because she killed my girl. She really put it on Mackenzie Dern, and after that, I had to give all the respect to her because I didn't know who she was before that. Yeah. Then we have two, <laughs> as Brendan Schaub says, two dime pieces in <laughs> Claudia Gedalia versus Alexa Grasso. Another fight I love, Alexa Grasso. She had one of the most sleeper fights ever at the last UFC we actually watched together. Yeah. And she's facing a Claudia Gedalia who's coming off, you know, a victory. So I am looking forward to that fight. Yeah, me too. Andre Feely versus Sadiq Youssef. I love this fight. Dude, Sadiq Youssef, I, I can't believe he's not ranked. Yeah. He is so good. If he wins this fight, he might be. But yeah. This kid's, he's the real deal, man. That's I, it's crazy. I think he's a problem, and he's just another one of those Nigerians that is killing it. Yeah, but that and then when you look at Feely, too, like, he's improved a lot, like, mm-hmm. with his uh, – you know, like his striking decisions, like like what he's throwing in there against two and really keeping that distance. I mean, he's going to do well in this fight, but he cannot leave his chin up in the air because Yusuf will crack him. So yeah. I'm excited for this fight. Yeah, me too. And then we get into some heavy, heavy hitters. Uh, Khabib versus Tony. The contracts aren't signed. But Dana White has confirmed that this will happen in April in Brooklyn. Yeah. Andre, is the fifth time a charm? I think it is. I think in this case, both fighters need to take precaution. They need to be very careful, make sure they're on weight at least a week before, and just get the fight done. Like, once the weigh-ins are over, even if you have to cart them out, like, just make sure they're okay. Mm-hmm. because I want to see everybody deserves this fight. There's a lot of people like on Twitter who are like, hell no, like this fight ain't going to happen. Tony was just never meant to fight Khabib. But no, I, I think this fight is the fight to make. Everybody has been raving over this, giving their predictions and reviews on what's going to happen. I even did myself on Twitter. And I've seen that the majority of MMA fans have said that Tony will win in the fourth round by submission. Whoa. By either Darce choke or tri- a triangle choke. Other, the other half of people have said if he can't secure that, he will be dominated on the ground. I, one, can say 50-50 with that. I can say that if he doesn't catch Khabib in a submission, he's going to lose that fight. Unless he can find a way to knock him out and uh, at least get a doctor stoppage. That's what I see. I see more of, you know, Khabib gets the first round. Tony comes out firing in the second round. Khabib tries to grab him and just gets, like, obliterated with, like, a spinning elbow or some ridiculous shot. And then he he, uh, 
you know, goes into some type of submission because, you know, as much as people want to say how good Tony is on his back, I think more of his unorthodox striking and style, you know, he's rolling all over the place and he's like doing all types of weird strikes, you know, spinning attacks and stuff like that. I think that that stuff's going to play a big part in his fight versus Khabib. Yeah, I mean, look, Dustin Poirier said it best. He said it wasn't a strength thing. It was really just a technique thing. And a lot of times you think you have the answer when you're stepping in front of a tantalizing figure like Khabib. But if you don't have the mindset that you're willing to put it all out on the line against somebody like that, then chances are you're going to lose because Khabib doesn't have to be afraid of anyone's punching power because if he feels that he is in danger, he has an excellent wrestling pedigree where he can just go to that at any time and win the fight but tony has excellent cardio excellent jujitsu and the dude is just a monster on the feet it doesn't matter what credentials you have he will pick you apart he'll find a way to outstrike you he'll find a way to damage you so you know just like i said with tony he has a rough night ahead of him so does khabib who comes out on top we can't even say at the end of the day this is just the fight that we finally get to say this is the undisputed lightweight champion. Yep. So it's going to be fireworks, and I can't wait. Very excited for that fight. What a big announcement when that actually happens. I think they are trying to hold off till you know, next weekend. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, and once again, you know, we'll probably have a lot to say about it when they actually do announce it. Oh, yeah. Then we have Anthony Pettis going back to lightweight versus Diego Fajeda, which is very random. Um, <laughs> another title fight, Valentina Shevchenko versus Caitlin Chikagin. Andre, they better have the ambulance backed up to the cage because if Caitlin Chikagin comes out with that stuff that she came in her last fight, Valentina is putting her to sleep. I think Valentina puts anybody to sleep in that division, whether it's on the ground or on the feet. I don't think there's anybody that can beat her at 125. I think that was just a a weight class that was made for her to dominate. This is going to be a fight where I just hope that Caitlin Chikagan doesn't die in there because I honestly thought Jessica I got killed in that fight. You know, her <laughs> so we'll see what happens at the end of the day. You know, hats off to Valentina for being so dominant. Yeah. Then we have Justin Taffa versus Juan Adams. We have Michael Chiesa versus Rafael Dos Anjos. I love that fight. This is at uh, welterweight, obviously. You know, Michael Chiesa looked fantastic in his last fight after getting his oil checked. Um, (laughs) And Rafael, you know, he's kind of on the tail end of his career, you'd say? Yeah, I I would say that, but I think he can still pull off this victory. I'm struggling here trying to open this. (laughs) This is so bad. There it is. Perfect. Andre Petrowski from Balance versus... Sherdrick Goodridge. This is actually the 185 title fight in uh, Art of War, the title that uh, has been held by Joe Pfeiffer and, you know, some other names. So I'm looking forward to that. He looked fantastic in his last fight. He camored somebody in, like, 30 seconds. Yeah. Then we have Sarah McMahon versus Lena Landsberg. Brianna Van Buren versus Hannah Cyphers. Alexio Linick versus Maurice Green. Another title fight. John Jones versus Dominic Reyes. That is announced. Andre, finally announced. We've talked about this fight a lot. What do you think with the announcement finally coming out? What's your verdict now? Do you see that dominant victory for John Jones? Or do you think, honestly, Dominic Reyes could give him a run for his money? You know, it was like I said before, like it's really a mindset thing. If Dominic can go out there and put it on him, then cool. But if he can't like really dominate him, I don't really see how that fight goes well for him. Like even if John's not doing the best, like he will find a way to score points and win the round, steal the round at least. So Dominic has to finish him. That's literally the only key to victory. <laughs> yeah, we've already seen him go. You know, we we've seen him go to his first split decision. We've seen him go to, um, you know, just like a unanimous decision that he should have lost. Yeah. Like, he's he's not finishing people besides DC. So, I don't know if he's going to finish Dominic Reyes. Nah. But 
I really hope that Dominic Reyes comes out swinging. Yeah. Because you know he's going to do that front kick to the, uh, like, he's going to kick his knee in. Yeah. And he's going to take him down. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, he just has to, he has to be first. Like, one of the ways that Tiago Santos and Gustafson was able to do well, and even Daniel Cormier in their second fight, was just being first. Even if you don't land, if you push him back, there's not much he can do because he's not an elite striker. John Jones is very basic in all of his strikes. The only reason he looks good is because people are afraid of him and because he's such a big guy, it's hard to, like, hit him. So they don't even think about countering because they have to exert so much energy to even throw at him. But you have to do it, and you have to have great cardio. I think Dominic can do that. I think if he uses kicks, like those kicks against John, that could be a big deal because we haven't seen anything like that since Tiago Santos's fight. Like he destroyed John Jones's legs and left him in a wheelchair at the end of the night. So if Dominic isn't willing to do that, then it's gonna be a rough night for him. Yeah. So you bring up Tiago Santos. Now he had his uh, surgeries. Obviously, he's out for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when he comes back, do you see him getting that immediate shot again? Do you think that it's worth it to run it back? Because I see money in that. Yeah. And um, the UFC kind of needs that because, you know, I don't think Jan Blahowitz is going to be the guy, you know, unfortunately. But what do you think? Like, do they run that back? Like, I don't, I don't think I'd mind seeing that again. I would actually love to see that. Not because I'm like, oh, Santos won. I can see how he didn't win, but. At the end of the day, for him to perform like that with both of his knees being completely destroyed, like you have to at least give him a chance because he that fight was close. Mm-hmm. Like I don't care what anybody says, that was one of the scariest fights for John. Yep. And he knew it. Like after he got the nod, he said to himself, like, damn, this dude messed me up. Like yeah, I did it was not the, expect that. It was the first time that something looked you know, troubling for him since Gustafson won. Yeah. And that and that's the thing. It's like nobody has really taken it to John before in that fashion. Cause even the Gustafson fight, like it was a good it was a good fight that Gustafson put on. But I would say Santos damaged him way more. And he scared him a lot more because Santos was not throwing the way Gustafson was. Like Gustafson was throwing to like Pitter Pat shot him and to really outbox him. Santos didn't care about that. Like, Santos was trying to knock him out. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, John was like, oh, I want to see him try and knock me out. And he almost did. So I just think that there's really no other fight to make for Tiago. Nobody's going to want to see him face Corey Anderson. <laughs> we know damn well John is not going to want – I mean, Jan Blakowicz is not going to want a rematch with him. And nobody wants to see Anthony Smith get beat up. So at the end of the day, like – if they can get this fight out of the way, give Santos his rematch, and then promise at least if you know Anderson wins his next fight against Smith, if he gets that fight, that you know at least we have the Santos one out of the way, and then we can talk who gets that next shot. Yeah, for sure. I do want to see Tiago again. He made a fan in a lot of people with that fight. And he was relatively very silent. Yeah. But it's just like he's one of those guys. Like, I'll let my performance do the talking for me. So Mm -hmm. I think that fight has to be made in Brazil. Yeah. So then a few notable names. James Gallagher has his next fight. Brad Riddell, he's on that uh, New Zealand card coming up. And then Ray Borg. Um, I don't know how relevant Ray Borg is anymore because he's not even ranked in a division that only has 15 people. That's messed up. <laughs> he just fought for a title. No, he's actually uh, going back down after fighting his last two fights at 135, so mm. I can expect him with a win to be ranked relatively yeah. quickly. Yeah. So last week we had two events. Let's talk about the first one. It was free on the Bellator app as well as the prelims were on YouTube. Um, Bellator, whatever, London. <laughs> I can't keep up with their numbers. They're they're at like 400 and they have three events in one weekend like sometimes. It's very confusing. Yeah. Um, 
before I talk about the actual fight, I want to have a conversation with you about somebody that I think I am starting to turn the corner on. And that is Leon Edwards. I think, Andre, I think I'm ready to give Leon Edwards a chance. Are you against that? No. Um, he's impressive. I'll say that. Um, but he has to dominate somebody before I can be like, he's the next one. Because I'm not going to say that. Like, he is a very generic style. I mean, but just think about, if you look at that division, the two people fighting for a title, be, besides their last, like, literally their last performance, what's the domination? Like, it's not like yeah. a lot of dominating, you know what I mean? There, yeah, like, and that's the funny thing about welterweight, like, if you remember before, like, you had Carlos Condit, you had the emergence of Donald Cerrone, you had Tyron Woodley, who was really putting it on people, mm-hmm. and then you had, like, Roy McDonald, like, killers in there, and then Damian Maya, who had just come down and started choking everyone out, and people were scared, like, Jesus, like, this dude's really strong at 170. Then you had... Uh, a surging wonder boy who was putting people down with spinning kicks. It, it was like, that's when welterweight was dangerous, you mm-hmm. know? And now it's just like... Now it's like a bunch of wrestlers like with like decent but not great striking. Yeah. And I'm not like upset about it. Like, because, you know, the more we do this podcast, the more I appreciate the art form itself yeah. rather than like, I'm not in there to see blood blood matches all the time. You know? Yeah. But Leon Edwards is someone that I am starting to turn the corner on. Like, and, and it's not like his name is in the news. Like, I mean, Tyron Woodley just told him, like, let's fight in London or, or vice versa. You know, yeah. they announced UFC London for next year. And, you know, I think it makes all the sense. Like, yeah. if you want to get up there, beat the number one guy. And I think he could beat Tyron Woodley. Yeah, with, with the crappy performance that Woodley had against Usman, like, it's going to be the same style fight. So, he really has to, like, knock Edwards out in order to defeat him. But, listen, like, if Edwards can get it, there's really no denying him. Obviously, the next one in line will be, you know, George Masvidal for the title. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, if he can secure that spot for himself after and get the winner of you know, Masvidal versus whoever the champion is. Like, hey, that's great. There really isn't anybody else standing in his way. So at the end of the day, um, I will give him legitimacy if he can get by Tyron Woodley. But I have a very bad feeling that he's going to get his ass destroyed in that fight. I mean, we'll see. We'll see if it even happens, honestly. Because uh, he hasn't had much luck drawing the cards. Yeah. So... All those nice things I said, I'm going to have not some nice things to say about his brother, Fabian Edwards. <laughs> you know, Gareth Davey put out, you know, a video, you know, with Fabian Edwards and Mike Shipman, like kind of walking around the uh, Wembley Arena or whatever. And like he put over Fabian Edwards so much to me. That I went into the fight and I was like really excited about it. I'm like, damn, this is going to be a killer fight. But then, you know, I get into the fight and like bored me to tears. Like the guys couldn't pull the trigger. They just weren't really performing. They weren't even really engaging that much. So I am not a Fabian Edwards believer. And I don't even know if he won that fight. Yeah. It sucks because a lot of times you have guys who get to that moment and they don't perform because they're scared. And it sucks because it's like you're hurting yourself more than the other guy, (laughs) as ironic as that is. Yeah. If you're not willing to go in there and try to hurt your opponent, like nobody's going to want to see you fight. And it has nothing to do with whether you won or not. Like people aren't just going to be interested in you. And that's the crappy part. Like, yeah. if you're not willing to do it, then people aren't going to watch. And it sucks to say, but don't even bother fighting if you're not going to, like, really put it all out on the line. Because this is a sport 
for killers, to be honest with you. Like, mm-hmm. you can be a great wrestler, but eventually somebody's going to go in there and really put it on you. So Yeah, and and let's be honest, you know, this is another thing that I kind of took away from this fight. You know, blood feuds, like those feuds that just, like, look like they have so much heat. Very rarely, if not never, deliver. Yeah. Like... I thought this was going to be like an all-out war. Like, remember MVP Paul Daly? We're like, oh, this is going to be a killer fight. Yeah. And then, like, I had to, like, shake you, you know, on Thursday to come out and record the podcast because you were still asleep from watching that fight. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, blood feuds, I don't know what it is, but they just never deliver to me. Yeah. Um, Speaking of... Michael Venom Page, he knocks out a nobody, as we predicted. But what I took away from this was, you know, things that certain people said. Paul Daly being one, saying that this has to stop. He just can't fight these nobodies anymore. It's just not, it's not getting him any better. Like, and we saw what happened when he took that giant leap in competition. So, like, either give him a ranked opponent or... Or, like, just don't push him so hard. Not even that. Why not put him against Koroshkov? Koroshkov is still there. He's still winning. So why are you giving him these dumb fights with guys that are going to take them because they know they're going to lose? Let's face it. A dude who was 3-1 and one and this last guy, of course they're throwing the fight. There's no way in hell that they believe in their heart that they're going to beat Michael Venom Page. That's just obvious. But the problem is, like, you're paying guys to get injured, like, viciously. Very dangerous. For what? Like, because this is what gets me mad. What if Michael Venom Page hit him so hard, and when he hit his head on that canvas, it created a brain aneurysm, and he dies? How are you going to explain that to the athletic commissions then? Because then your entire organization is shut down because someone died because you knew in your heart that he was not supposed to fight this guy. Now, he tries to do that against Koroshkov, and I bet you any amount of money he get his ass whooped in that fight. Mm -hmm. So I 100% agree against Paul Daly. And there's a reason why Paul said that. He couldn't do that to Paul Daly because Paul Daly is an excellent striker. Has great grappling, too. Just He doesn't show it a lot. I mean... Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, like, I don't agree with these kind of fights, you know. And and the reason is because if somebody does get hurt, like, that's on you as an organization. It doesn't matter who the matchmakers are. Like, it still falls on the president of that organization. And that's your fault because at the end of the day, you get to say who takes these fights and who doesn't and who gets these matchups. Like, these matchmakers make the fights, but you need to do a quick review of whether this fight makes sense. So Yeah, and even, you know, his post-fight interview, he says, yo, I want Lima next. That doesn't make any sense. And even Lima responded to him on Twitter and said, yo, you got to beat some ranked guys before I even think about facing you again. Exactly. Not even that. It was just like you knocked out two guys, but if Lima would have fought them, he'd kill them. So it's like, no, like you got KO'd by Lima. You need to fight somebody that's worth it. Like, if he goes up against either Koroshkov or Rory McDonald, imagine how bad that fight's going to look for him. Imagine him versus Lorenz Larkin. Oh, God, no. They're all dangerous. Like, he, I don't see him winning any of those three fights. Nope. Like, Koroshkov, maybe. You know, he's kind of on the tail end of his career. Yeah. But he's still dangerous. Yeah. Look and- at what him and Lorenz Larkin did a few months ago. Yeah, and, and, like, there's a fight that a lot of people don't remember that happened years ago for MVP. It was him versus another local, well, former talent that we have in Philly, and his name is Nashawn Burrell. Now, Nashawn Burrell has got, like, that pure Philly MMA style with decent grappling but really more heavy with the hands. And guess what? In that fight, he took it to MVP. He barely got damaged in that fight. That's because he was trying to knock him out. And MVP couldn't do any of that flashy stuff or nothing because, you know, Nashon wasn't falling for it. And he kind of exposed him 
silently. Like, a lot of people didn't pay attention to that fight because it was just one of those fights where MVP was like, all right, you know, I'm just going to go in there and dominate. And he couldn't. Like, Nashon shut a lot of that stuff down. And Nashon used to be in the UFC, too. Like, he had his opportunity. So it wasn't like he was one of those guys like that he just recently fought. But that just goes to show you, like, the right style of fight against MVP, it puts him in a lot of danger. Like, his style, okay, you know, it, it's cool. But when you're going up against a guy who's not, like, mesmerized by what you're doing, you're going to get your ass knocked out. <laughs> it, there's only a matter of time. So I think that his career might be over if he fights somebody like Lorenz Larkin or Korshkov. Because I don't think two knockouts in a row will put him in a position where he can call any fighters out. Yeah, and I hate the idea of Bellator giving him that shot, like like because he asked for it. I hate that. Yeah. I really hope they don't. I really, I really hope they don't too because he doesn't deserve it. And, you know, I don't say that a lot because there are different outcomes to every situation, Yeah, you know? like And deserving is, like, one of those things where you're like, well, who am I to say? Like, sometimes yeah. you think about it and you're like, who am I to say whether he deserves it or not? But, like, in this case, like, no, you really don't deserve it. Yeah, and there's, like, some fighters in this world who do deserve title shots. For example, Tony Ferguson, George Masvidal, like, those guys earn their spot through blood and violence. But MVP doesn't deserve a title shot because he hasn't earned his way to that top spot. That's the difference between Bellator. Sorry, that's sorry, the difference. Dusty. Yeah, that's the difference between Bellator and the UFC. Like that ranking system, despite it having its flaws, like it's there for a reason. And Bellator doesn't really have that. And I wish they did. At least something along the lines. At least the top ten. Yeah, like I don't, I don't see why they can't. They. We already, like, we just named the top five probably right there, you know, if not the top, you know, six or whatever you say. Like, you'd say Lima's number one, or Lima's the champ, Rory's number one. Then you go down the list, you got Larkin up there, you got Korshkov, and then you got Paul Daly and MVP who are, you know, those are top six guys right there. Yeah, exactly. And you know what, like, that that's why it just didn't make any sense to me that that they put him on another London card, and then he had the audacity to say like they need me in London. Like no, but they, they don't. They didn't even fill the building. Yeah, it didn't. And why? Because nobody cares that you're fighting nobodies. Like even that guy, like they hugged it out because he was like, yeah, like I have nothing against you. Like I know I'm gonna get my ass knocked out. Like I don't like to see that. It, it's just it's silly. It's silly. It was very silly. It it just was. Like even James Gallagher said it like like he can't he didn't even fill the building. Like that's why they keep calling me to go to Dublin. But even though I don't even agree with that, because they they run like standalone cards. That that three fight card or three card weekend that Bellator had a few weeks ago, they ran like they called it a different card just so he can main event, but the real main event was Benson Henderson. Yeah. You know? It's silly. And all these cards for what? Like, they're not playing the game properly anyway. And they're not drawing either. Yeah, it's, it's shitty because it's just better for you to stack a card and wait a month or two and put on an excellent card in a great city that wants to see MMA. Like, for example... Put a card in Philly, right? Put Rory McDonald versus Andre Korshkov, Lorenz Larkin versus MVP, James Gallagher versus whoever's up there. Like, put some names on there, and people will fill the seats. Like, I'll yeah. go to that. It's very uh, – It's not hard. You know, and, and I think that Philly is such an untapped market for MMA. Like, luck – you know, luckily Philly was ran this year by the UFC, but before that – when was the last time uh, UFC was in Philly? Yeah, and UFC, what, 133? I think it was. I couldn't even tell you. Yeah, That's yeah. the thing. It was the, so it was, long uh, ago. Rashad Evans in the main event versus Phil Davis. And then the previous card before that, unless it came after, was Eddie Alvarez versus Roger Huerta. And that was it. I don't remember any big cards after that. Like, that was it. That was the, the pinnacle of Philadelphia MMA. But they have to bring it back, man, because we could put on some great cards here. Like, imagine 
you know, uh, for example, and we'll bring him up in a bit, but Pfeiffer versus a top a top guy at middleweight in Bellator, and then Petrosky making his Bellator debut. Like you could put some really big names on that card where mm-hmm. people will be like, "Oh hell yeah, I'm going to that." Yeah, you just like line it up. Mm-hmm. Everybody will be there. Oh yeah, I have a hard enough time getting tickets to these smaller shows. Yeah, I could only imagine like if they run a big building. Yeah, they could sell it out. We have to really make it, and it sucks, man. Because like I've really went, wished that we could have made it to the last like, my, you know, Zed fight. Because now he's fighting for Combate Americas. Like that's gonna be so hard for us to mm-hmm. like. I don't know what we're gonna do. And you know what's crazy? I went back. I don't know if I told you. I went back and I listened to both of our interviews with him and he said like yeah like you guys got to watch me now because i won't be here for too long yeah like he kind of called his shot yeah and look at him now speaking speaking of combates america i just want to programming note for the listeners next week we will have on combate america's own Chris Zeta, she will be on the podcast. A little scheduling conflict this week, and she had to go to the Flyers game. But she will be on uh, this week. I'm actually interviewing her as you listen to this, you know, as we speak. <laughs> so, speaking of local fighters, let's talk about Ring of Combat. Happened last week at the Showboat um, Casino in Atlantic City. Um, we had two... Of Samuel O's guys fighting. So let's start with uh, Thomas Powell. Uh, he's the newest member of the team. Um, I think he looked great. Uh, he's he's usually a striker. But it was very clear the direction Samuel wanted to take with both his fighters. Uh, this this particular card. And uh, he, he took down the W. He he used his takedowns very effectively. Yeah. When he had space, he was able to land shots, um, and he beat his guy up. Yeah. I mean, it was an excellent performance. For he him. is huge. Very. And then he was talking about going down another weight class. I was like, whoa. Like, no. Hold yeah. on. <laughs> That's kind of a lot. Because then you're going into fights like drained and your lungs are all damaged like in your kidneys. Like, ah, nah, just stay at your weight class. You're huge. <laughs> yeah, so he's, uh, I believe before the fight he was 3-4. and four. So he's at 500 now, so I'm hoping, you know, yeah. from now to go up. I'm very happy to see him get that W. I think he got robbed the last fight. Yeah. Um, I'm not the only one. So Thomas Powell. That's on Fight Pass, so if anybody wants to see that outcome, please go and check it out. Um, the next fight I want to talk about is this guy, Troy Green. He uh, knocked out some dude from Saralongo. <laughs> oh, my God. This dude is a beast. Yeah. A beast of a man. He 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 showed great counter-striking ability, and I really liked it because not only was he able to catch the other guy coming in, but, like, he was very accurate as he was going for the finish, and that showed a lot of maturity for a guy who was only two and zero in his career. Because honestly, like looking at at his physique and like the way he was carrying himself, like I thought he was like seven and zero or something. And then when I saw two and zero, and then they said he was coming off an undefeated amateur career, I was like, you know what? Like this kid might be a serious like problem, you know, in his weight division. But you know what? I mean. It was an excellent performance, and and I see him eventually going for the title and making a name for himself. Yeah, he's a he's a problem. And then um, let's talk about the next fight: Tim Dooling versus Ryan Caseras. Ryan Cafaro. Cafaro. All right. So sorry, Dusty. That was the co-main event, I believe. I fell asleep <laughs> uh, during that fight. But please break it down to me because from what I saw in little clips here and there, Tim Dooling is a beast as well. Yeah, I mean, Cafaro, he started off very tentative. Cafaro, the local guy. Yeah, he, he's fighting out of Cherry Hill, New Jersey. He trains out of Royal Striking, and he also trains out of TKO Cherry Hill. Yeah, he's also sponsored by Primal Supply. Yeah. Fun fact. Um I went to their grand opening because I was still working at the Bruno Brothers at the time, and the girl who runs it is such a good butcher. 
So female butchers, if you want to get that female touch, go to Primal Supply. Hey, man. Great (laughs) plug-in. Hey, you know, honestly, like, it was just a matter of, like, who wanted it more. I feel like Kefaro wanted to win that fight, but he was real, like, I don't even want to say scared because he's a fighter, but I just felt like there were a lot of chances that he had to pull the trigger against him dueling, and I just felt like he was thinking too much. Like, he was going for takedowns and stuff, but, like, a lot of the issues that I saw in these fights is because these guys are so young in their careers, the main things that they really have to learn, they're still ca- it's still catching up. Like, one thing that... Um, Dustin Poirier brought up in an interview when he had first fought Max Holloway was how his jiu-jitsu was way better back then because he was able to get to positions and secure them a lot better than he was later in his career because he was focused more on striking. So you kind of saw that in that matchup where Kafaro was kind of having trouble getting takedowns and holding positions and securing them. And that's just something that he'll catch on as he goes throughout his career. My only critique for him is, like, because you have excellent striking, you need to let your hands go more because he didn't. And Tim Dooling, you could see, wasn't an excellent striker. Great grappler. Very great grappler. Like, he, he's got good jujitsu, mm-hmm. And he showed that. Like, getting that choke. And you could see Kaferro really didn't want to tap, but it was tight. But, you know, like... You know, there is just certain things that I feel that if Kafaro fixes them, he will be a dangerous man, you know, in the years to come. But, hey, at the end of the day, he's still young in his career. He's got time to improve and get better, and he's got great coaches. So, you know, I wish him the best, and hats off to Tim Dooling, you know. He took that fight on short notice and was able to get the victory against a tough guy. So Yeah, I believe that was for the interim strap. Yeah, you know, so, so now he's got that shot, you know, against the real champ, and we'll see what he does in the next card. Yeah, Ring uh, Ring of Combat's title is very underrated. I think it's a very nice design. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of the uh, big gold belt from WCW. Yeah. <clears throat> then let's get into uh, Joe Pfeiffer versus Jonathan Patti. I believe I said that yeah. right. Um, so I'm going to tell the story. I wrote it on Instagram, but if anybody did not see the post, uh, walkouts happen. You know, they're in the cage getting ready to fight. I put in my notes, Joe Pfeiffer, victory. Uh, Takedown, ground and pound, hand raise. Same as always. Uh, And then the fight happens. What happens in the first round? Take down, ground and pound, and, you know, Jonathan Patti survives. Yeah. Second round comes. I see, you know, we talked about this, I believe. I I was livid uh, that night. I'm not going to say what I said, but I was <laughs> in the bed. My baby was right next to me, like, because she had just ate. Or, no, she was asleep. Like, I had took her up and she was still asleep so before i put her in the bassinet i put her in the bed for a little bit while i'm still awake um and i just like lost it i'm like girl i just like yelled really loud and my girl was like yo what's up and i'm like he lost (laughs) um so break down that second round what happened so in the second round apati kind of got the he kind of got the idea that Pfeiffer wasn't going to strike with him, and he was really more focused on getting the takedown. And Pati started to, like, pick up some momentum. And you could see from the first round that he was really he was really in there to finish, like Pfeiffer. But that second round was like, he just went for the kill. He caught Pfeiffer, and Pfeiffer kind of, something happened where his legs kind of slipped from under him. When he was against the cage, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like it looked he, like he, he got cracked. His, his he definitely did get cracked yeah. twice in that second round. Yeah, but the one where he fell into the cage. Yeah, if you watch him, like he's trying to like gain balance, and he said it. His, and you watch, I watched it again. Yeah. His heels like just like slipped from under him. Yeah, and 
you know what? Like, I didn't. It was weird because I'm like, why would his legs give out like that? Because he didn't get hit that hard. Like, he got hit with a straight punch, but, like, it was weird. But, you know, like, it really, that's not even the story. It was Jonathan Pati's awareness to go for the choke because he saw that Pfeiffer's legs were stuck. He had nowhere to go. And it was smart that he went for that instead of trying to go for ground and pound or hit him while he was on the cage and then tire himself out. Like, he did the right thing. It doesn't matter how good you are at jiu-jitsu. That choke by itself can put anybody out. I mean, Uriah Faber, that's one of his premier chokes. And on top of that, like, there's, like, even, for example, like, John Jones versus Leona Machida. Mm-hmm. Like, when a guy has his back to the cage, the choke is more dangerous because he really can't defend. It's literally just a blood choke, and you can't stop it. So it was great awareness by him, but it, it really did hurt me because I'm like, damn, like, I don't think Pfeiffer knew that that was going to happen. I just think that he got so stuck on the game plan that he really wasn't as fluid as he usually is. Yeah, because as important, um, I think you probably feel the same way, as important as it is to listen to your coaches, I always think that, you know, as a martial artist, you always have to have that little bit of room where you can improvise. Yeah. You know, martial arts is an art, you know, just like comedy, just like acting. Like, you have to have that space where you can improvise. And at that time, I don't think that he had the wherewithal. It might have been the shot that he took. Because if you watch the first shot that he took that he fell, you know, he didn't slip. No, he got hit really hard. Yeah. Like, um, I think from that shot on, it was kind of like a downhill spiral. And if you, you know, this is what I was saying earlier, that we kind of talked. And he didn't really look, you know, he's a very confident guy. Yeah. But I don't know if I saw that confidence in his eyes that night. I didn't. And Jonathan Pati probably felt the same way, and yeah. he came out overconfident, but not enough to ruin him. He he took that confidence to the victory. Yeah, and you know what? Like, even from the opening bell, like the way Pati was smiling, and the way he was moving so fluidly, and the kicks he was throwing, and I was just like, this guy is. He's got a different step to him. Yeah, very high level. This was probably yeah. the most high level competition that Pfeiffer has taken. Yeah, and I don't and I think the issue there wasn't even with Pfeiffer or Sammy O. Like I just think in a general sense, like I don't think they were expecting him to be that good. And I think what happened was I think his previous fights, I don't think he was taking them seriously. And with this recent surge he's had, like, he's, like, taking MMA seriously. And it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there's some guys, the four or, five, four or five fight skid in their career, and then they kind of have to go back to the drawing board, you know, work on some things, get better. Maybe it's their diet, and they're just getting used to, like, making weight and being healthy and living a healthier lifestyle. And that changes everything. But I don't know, man. Like, Jonathan Pati, like, it was funny because he was like, I'm ready to go to the UFC for Dana White's Contender Series. I'm ready now. And I'm just like, uh, hold on a second. Like, Pfeiffer is the real deal. And then when I saw it, I was like, you know what? Maybe he's right. Maybe he is up there. Pfeiffer just didn't see it. But the beauty of this, to conclude, like, this whole, like, fight, Pfeiffer is only 23. This is his first loss in his professional MMA career. And despite him being choked out, there was a lot to be learned in that fight. And I think the biggest lesson is in order to fight in the higher levels of competition, there's one aspect of fighting that you always have to have. Even if you're sticking to a strict game plan, you always have to have room to adjust. And Floyd Mayweather always says this. I'm the best fighter in the world and a complete fighter because I'm able to adjust in seconds. And Joe Pfeiffer throughout his time has to learn how to adjust to every style because there are some guys who will be afraid of him and he will be able to knock them out or choke them out. 
but he has to be able to hold the same level of confidence in a fight that against somebody who might be more high profile or more elite in a specific area. And he just has to be aware of what his strengths are and implement them in those fights. I don't think this is – obviously, this is not the end of Joe Pfeiffer. Hell no. This is this is his opportunity to finally be like, all right, I got the L out of the way. Now it's time to get to work, work on what I need to work on, and come back even more dominant. You know, there's nothing yeah. better than a great comeback story. Yeah, for sure. And one fight is not a failure. Like, no. you can't you can't lose one time and call it a career. But I have so much emotional investment – in his story that I refuse to give up on this fighter. So, Joe Pfeiffer, keep your head up. I know you don't need us to tell you that. I know how you feel already, and you've already been in the gym working, and I know you and Sammy O are going to come back better than ever. So, that is Ring of Combat. I actually really enjoyed watching that card. Yeah. It was, was it your first time watching like a full Ring of Combat main card? Yeah, honestly, it was, and you know what? Like, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but that spinning back elbow KO, that ended up on an MMA highlight that had over, like, 600,000 views. Wow. Like, it was funny because when I saw it, I was like, I saw that live, I saw it live, <laughs> and, and Ricky and, and Victor were like, oh, for real? I was like, yo, I was, like, literally watching while it was happening. I Like, literally, I woke a couple people up in my house. I was like, oh! Oh, my God, because <laughs> I didn't see it coming. Yeah. But that kid, I know he's from Sarah Longo, but I, I keep forgetting his name. But you know what? He did a great job, and that kid's got a bright future because yeah. there's not a lot of guys who can do that at that stage of their career. Yeah, I like Ring of Combat because you get Philly, Jersey, and New York. like, And then like people like the rare occurrence, like you had guys from like Connecticut, and then you had like Jonathan Potty from – Texas, yeah, which f Texas and the Cowboys. I actually sent that to uh, <laughs> I actually sent that to Sammy O as a joke. Oh snap! But um, I love MMA, Andre. Oh, you know what? Now that we're talking about Ring of Combat, hats off to Joe Riggs for winning the Super Fight Championship in such Joe a dominant Riggs, way, Joe man. Riggs. And you, I, that was a great fight, man. I'm Joe sorry. Riggs. Joe Riggs was supposed to fight Sammy O a few years back, but it got canceled. Yeah, I mean, hey, that would have been a pretty great fight. But you know, I mean, it was good. It was good just to see him. Like he showcased his skills. Like the dude is a he's a stud. Like from locking in positions and knowing what strikes to throw and how to get those takedowns. Like you could see there's a reason why he won fifty eight times. Yeah. And only lost 15 times. I don't think a lot of people value that. But this man has been in there with the best. And even in his older age, like in the tail end of his career, has still been able to put on some pretty great wins against some pretty decent fighters. You know, George Sullivan obviously wasn't a slouch. But, you know, like he dominated him. Yeah. And I really loved how he was able to secure the full mount like at the end of the fight. And you saw a lot of other fighters get to full mount, and then they couldn't keep it. But you could tell that he's been doing it for so long. Like, he knew exactly where to place his feet. And when the guy rolled, he knew to flatten him out. Like, that just goes to show you, like, if anybody is at his camp, like, try to pick his brain as much as possible because there's a lot that Joe Riggs can teach somebody, you know, in this game. Yeah, for sure. Um, That has been this week's Your Boy Elroy Andre, I know that you've been waiting for the return of Fantasy Warfare, but since we didn't ever get to tell the people what our Fantasy Warfare matchup is, I'm going to set it up right now for next week. So, Andre, next week's Fantasy Warfare matchup is... You go first. (laughs) Wait, you tell me yours because I'm like trying to figure it out. No, I have it. Oh, you have yours. Yes. Okay, fine. You want to? Okay. Um. Next week, we will be talking about the fantasy matchup of Gina Carano versus Ronda Rousey. Okay. So we're talking. Remember, this is Fantasy Warfare. If you guys never heard of it, it's a segment where we talk about fights 
that we would have liked to see happen yeah. um, in any era. But obviously this time we're talking about their primes of their careers. Yeah. You know, Ronda Rousey, the Destroyer, Gina Carano, the uh, undefeated, you know, beautiful thing. that sh- I love Gina Carano so much. <laughs> but, um, yes, next week, Fantasy Warfare, Gina Carano versus Ronda Rousey. You can find me on all forms of social media at Elroy Prepson, one word. Andre? You can find me on Instagram as Twitter as Flow State Dre. And you can also find me on Facebook as Andre Rodriguez. Thank you for all for tuning in. Yes. Uh, please, five-star ratings and reviews. You can find the show on Instagram at YBE MMA Podcast. Guys, if it's your birthday, happy birthday. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure if there's any fights this weekend, but if there are, enjoy them. I know that one thing that just happened yesterday. As you're listening to this, enjoy those leftovers. We'll see you next week. <laughs>